0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Daff Shvui, weekly Daff. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daff or so. It's a weird time in California. Yesterday in the Bay Area, the sky was totally orange. Here it's it's pretty overcast today, but it, it's been pinkish. It's, uh, the fires are eating up the state. We're at the crossroads of many crises. The three major crises that are coming out right now are environmental crisis, right? The Earth is momish burning up, a racial justice crisis, crisis of policing, the fact that police are killing unarmed black and brown people, and that crosses over into the long-standing, well, all these are long-standing, gun crisis. There are 300 million arms in private hands, handguns, long guns, machine guns. Um, and sometimes all three come together. Sometimes a couple of them come together. We've seen right-wing folks, um, Nash, white nationalists, white supremacists, bringing guns to demonstrations. And we've seen also people on the left who are people demonstrating for justice, who are feeling that they have to arm themselves in self-defense. And that brings more violence and that. So, something to think about as in the run up to Rosh Hashanah. Run up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Me by mi me by Who by fire? Who by water? Seems that we're getting them all. What will we be like after the plague is gone? After the many plagues are gone? After the political plague is gone? After the coronavirus is gone? When we finally defund the police? What will we be like? Let's we'll see. Right now, let us take refuge in the bait Midrash in the closet. Take refuge in Torah for 40 minutes or so. We are on 39B. Four lines in the bottom in the pagination that was first typeset by the widow and brothers Rome, low these many years ago. Well, 150 years ago. Okay, here we go. So uh, the first lines are actually, seem to be starting something new, but they're actually ending off what we did last week. We were talking about whether or not you have to, our if you challenge, if the marakama challenges the current owner of a field, whether that challenge has to come back and be repeated every year or every three years. So we just finished off saying that Barakapra says that you have to challenge at the end of every three years so that there would not be three years without a challenge, right? And that would have to mean that there's a challenge and challenge to the ownership. And, uh, apparently this guy sitting on it either had a good answer to it or didn't have a good answer to it, but it's continued sitting on it for, for another three years before the end of those three years, the Marakama, the first owner would have to come back and challenge it, challenge it again. Now, bar there's a, now we're going to start with a statement attributed to bar which kind of, which modifies this or puts a caveat on. Tani bar ir-er, chazar If somebody challenges and comes back and challenges again, comes back and challenges again. If the subsequent challenges are the same as the first challenge, then the guy sitting on the land does not have a chazakah, does not have claim to the land. And if it's different, right, if it's not the same challenge, then the guy sitting on the land does have a claim to ownership. Now, what does that mean? Now, the Rashbam, and it makes sense that this, these are three challenges, not at the end of every three years. So it's not like nine years worth of challenges, but it's like the same. So the guy comes and says, uh, Ruvain comes to Shifra and says, What are you doing on my land? And she says, I bought it from you. Right? And he says, you stole it from me. Okay, So that's challenge number one. If he comes back next year and he doesn't say, I, you stole it from me, but he says, I actually gave it to you because I lent you money and it's a mashkon; It's a surety on the money. And then he comes back the third year and says something else. He says, you didn't buy it from me. You bought it from somebody else. And I didn't sell it from somebody else, right? If he has three different... So each year he's changing his claim. What happens is that every year that he changes his claim, he shows that the year before his claim was not right, was not true. So therefore, Ruvain comes the second year and the third year, proves that the claim against ship for the first year and the second year, were then not real claims, so therefore he's not disrupting the chazakah that Shifra has on the land. Okay. Now, buckle up. We're going to start a whole new thing, right? Because we're talking about, since we're talking about mecha'ah, right? That was one of the subjects we talked about last week in the middle of the daf. We're talking about protests, right? If somebody owns land, so this is the, that is the the ir'ur, the protest, the the challenge. So, the Mecha'ah, um, what are the terms of the Mecha'ah? Okay, so Amar Rabba, Amar Rab Nachman. Rav states in the name of his teacher, of Nachman, Mecha'ah b'fnei ketovu. has to be before two people, and you don't have to say to those people, write it down, in order for them to be able to write it down. right? Because they, the assumption is that you want them to write it down because it is considered good for you, that you, that they write it down so we, there's a rule that we follow that a person you can do something good for a person without their knowledge of it right not in front of them but meaning without their without their knowledge moda also if you're giving a modaa and a modaa is an interesting thing Moda literally means a you an announcement or a deposition But a modaa is a statement that, in a very specific case, if Ruvain is forcing Shifra to sell Ruvain something, right, Ruvain comes to Shifra and says, you know, that buggy of yours, nice buggy, be ashamed if something happened to it, you might as well sell it to me, right? Shifra feeling intimidated by Ruvain is going to sell it, but... Meanwhile, she realizes she doesn't really want to sell it. She really doesn't want to sell it. So she slips out and goes over and finds Shimon and Levi standing there and says, here, you be my witnesses that I don't want to sell this thing to Ruvain, but I I feel like I have to, right? I'm I'm feeling under, I am under duress. So that is considered a moda'a. So moda'a bifnish time, it has to be in front of two. She has to say in front of Shimon and Levi. But But she doesn't have to say to them, write it down because again it's good for her that they do write it down so they're allowed to write it down whether or not she says that. Right? If you're just hanging out with your with your peeps and you say uh, you know I I owe I owe John uh, two hundred dollars. So that's a hoda'a. Right? That's a an admission of indebtedness. So there have to be two people there as witnesses, but they're not allowed to write it down unless you specifically say to them, yes, you can write this down. Why? Because that's not as, that's not as a chin l'adam shalom that's a chavin l'adam shalom You're not allowed to do something for a person without his acknowledgement if it's not to his benefit, but to his deficit, right? To his, That it's bad for him. So if afterwards... If I was sitting around with my peeps and I said, yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, I, I owe I owe uh, uh, John some money. I owe John $200. And there are a bunch of people there. And then two of them wrote it down. Afterwards, John takes me to court. And I say, I don't owe you any money. And he says, ah, I have this piece of paper where you admitted that you owe me money. It's not admissible into court unless I said specifically, Ketovu, write it down. So then there is a when when you the acquisition and this is actually a kinyan sudar this is a specific type of acquisition a, a mechanism for acquisition two times that we do it in contemporary contemporary halakhic life is one is um at a wedding when depending on which part which spectrum of the halachic Observant to fault, one or both of the partners pick up a handkerchief, right? The Masadera Kedushin, the one who's giving the Kedushin, picks up, gives them a handkerchief. They pick up, and in picking up the handkerchief, they accept upon themselves the responsibility of the Ketubah. Right? They accept upon themselves the responsibility that are written out. So that acceptance responsibility is called a Kinyan sudar. It's called, a, it has to, this sudar has to be worth a little bit, Right? But it doesn't have to be worth. But it's not. It's it is just symbolizing the acquisition, right? And you can do that. uh, The other time we have it is if you when you're selling chametz, right? So when you sell your chametz, you're you're before Pesach. You write out where the chametz is, and then the rabbi pulls out a handkerchief, hopefully a clean handkerchief, gives it to you. You pick it up, and in picking it up, you have given the the chametz to the rabbi to sell. Um, so it's not a it's not a straight barter. It's kind of it's an old old timey uh manner of acquisition. And once upon a time, people would do that, you know, if they're selling somebody selling their cow, they would do a Kenyan Sudo to show that the cow had now changed from the ownership of one to the ownership of an, of another, even though there are other ways to buy and sell a cow. The main one like Mishihá, of pulling the cow onto your property, stuff like that. So a kinyan, this type of acquisition, has to be before two witnesses. And again, there the witnesses are allowed to write it down without being specifically told, write it down, because it is a zchut. It is considered, it's It's something that you want, so therefore, something that a person wants, so therefore they could do it without him. And they're also the establishment of contracts with three people. The other are all two, and this one is three. What does establishment of contracts mean, of a contract? So it means that if I sold you something, right? Or if I I lent you money, more to the point, or I lent you money. We wrote out a, a contract, wrote out a deed of indebtedness, and two witnesses signed it. Now, I'm worried that these witnesses are just going off to North Carolina and then they will be seen again. So what I do is I take the witnesses and the contract to the court to three people, right, which is a court. And I say to them, tell the court that this is your signature. These are your signatures. The court sees that and the court writes a document saying these people came before us and we verified that this contract is a good contract. So cumstod is actually it's a better word, it's a verification of the contract, so you need three people for that. Then, when the witnesses do, as witnesses seem to do, they run off to North Carolina, and I want to go and and reach and get my money back from you. And you say, oh, yeah, where's the contract? And I show you the contract. And you say, where are the witnesses? And I say, I don't need them because I got this document of verification of the contract, which was signed before, and I can still get the money out from you. And shalom al yisrael. Okay. Now, there's a thing here in the printed editions, which is, uh, in parentheses, Siman Memem he Kuf, right? And the Memem he Kuf is an acronym for Mecha'a, Moda'a, Hoda'a, and Kinyan. And the last Kuf probably is doing double duty for Kinyan and Kiyum Shtero. Now, those Simanim are very late. There are none of the manuscripts here. It's not clear whether they were Saboreic or even post-Talmudic put in, and they are a mnemonic device. Right? So here, this is when somebody's learning shahs by heart, as people do, did. <laughs> Some people know it by heart now. So this is a mnemonic device for them to remember. Ah, mam haq. Yeah, mam haq is mecha'am, hoda'a, hoda'a, kinyan, kinyum shtaro, now let's go through the Okay, so that's what, but that's not part of the, that's not part of the gemara. It's a meta level of the gemara. Okay. Amarava. So now, Rava, who was Rav Nachman's student and who quoted this in the name of Rav Nachman, says the following. E kashali kashali. So if something is problematic for me, this is what's problematic for me. So now, this introduction, this rhetorical introduction, is a Rava and is a like generation of Rava and the next generation, Muzidim Rav Papa. They're the only ones who use this, e kashali kashali, but it's just, it's a rhetorical device. It's basically saying, here's what was said before now this is the this is my problem with it. Hi Kenyan hechidami. What Kenyan are we talking about? We just said that Kinyan Ve tovu. This acquisition, we're talking about Kenyan Sidab, but this acquisition, in what way are we talking about it? Right? Why does it need to? and the hechidami is actually not in all the not in all the manuscripts. If this acquisition is like the act of a court Right? And that it is alienating property from one person to another, then we would need three people because that's what a court is. If it's not a, then why does he not have to say, write it down, right? Because if it's not a Bein, somebody is then going to be winning when somebody's losing, right? Somebody's going to get their money taken. If you're buying something, so, right, somebody's getting the thing that you're buying, but the other person is paying for it, and that's that's a chov, it seems, right? That's a, a demerit. Okay, so the next line is not in most of the manuscripts. It's a, a line, the reason it's, I mean, it's kind of messed up in the manuscripts, but it doesn't make a difference. And, and actually, what most of the manuscripts have is ella Hadar Amar the Rava later said. Right? This Batar Dabai Hadar pashta is actually associated with Rava or Rav Papa and Rav Zvid, or by that generation, in other places in Shas, but here, apparently, the better version would be Elahada Amar Rava. Right? So Rava then said, Le'olam lav kamasa b'yitin dami. Actually, it's not like the act of a court. And this is the reason. Um, that Or v'hainu ta'ima. De'einu tzarech l'omar Tobu Mishum destam Kinyan l'khtiva omed. And this is the reason that you don't have to say right, because a an acquisition is open to be written down, is standing to be written down. Meaning that there's nothing else to be done. Right? You have an acquisition, then that's it. Then you just acquire it, and immediately it goes from one to the other. So therefore, you just there's nothing else to that is needed in order to make the uh, acquisition happen so therefore uh it can be written down it's a it's a unique case where the the that's what the assumption is that somebody will be recording that acquisition so rabba and Rav yosef so here sometimes we have these things that it's we have we have tag team wrestling we have like partners on either side so this is Rabba and Rabba and Rabbi Yosef against Sabay and Rabbah and then the Naarday, our, our our friends, the Nahadayans coming after it. So Rabba Rabbi Yosef, both of them say you only write a moda'a to somebody who is either known as somebody who does not listen to the Baytin, or as somebody, or once you have once you have taken them to the Baiddin, and they have not listened to the Beidin. Right? It's, that's the only time you write a, you write a moda right you write that uh, I don't really want to sell to this guy but he's forcing me to sell it's only a known person who's probably maybe he's a a, a, a thug and you know that he's not going to follow the the laws of the the whatever the, the orders of the betty says no you don't need that you just need a case where a guy's forcing me to sell where I feel intimidated Amri Nardai, the Nehardians, said, any moda, in which it doesn't say we know that this person is being forced is not considered a moda. Right? So you have to explicitly say in the you have to, has to be explicitly said in the document of Moda, the document of saying, I don't really want to sell this, that these witnesses have to write, we know that this person is forcing this other person to sell this thing or to do this thing. Okay. Moda Demai. So this time I asked, what kind of moda are we talking about? If we're talking about a get, a divorce document, or a gift. So then gili Balmahi, then all you you don't really need a modaa you just, all you need to not give a get is to not give a get, because money is not changing hands. And in a matanah, all you need to do is not give, to not give a gift, is to not give a gift. So therefore, if you're already going to go to get a moda, so it's obvious that there's going to be, that there is some kind of duress, why else would you do it? Okay, so here I just want uh, a little aside, get is an is an interesting case because get the, the Mishnah already concedes of the fact that it could be problematic once it's sent and the husband can renege on it. Right. And we have this in the Mishnah and Gittin chapter four. if somebody sends a get to their to their wife and then caught up with the shalia with the with the with the agent who is bringing the get or sent another agent after the first one, and said to the second agent, who the get that I gave you is invalid. So it, it is, it is invalid. If he actually, after sending the get ran and got to his wife first, or he sent an agent to his wife and he said to her get shalahti lak batel hu the the get that i sent to you is invalid haray ze it is invalid in me she get le ada she but if the get reached her hands it can no longer be invalidated but then barishanayo said be din makom aherum umavtalav in the beginning he would just set up a be din in a different place and cancel the get it kin rabangumlelasa kein shlo yhu asin ken rabnay to go no lam rabangumlelasa kein ordained that you shouldn't, that this should not be done. And the question is, should not be done. Did that mean it can't be done or it just should not be done because of tikkun olam, because of the good order of the world, meaning that there are all kinds of problems could come out of the fact that if the husband invalidates the get, but the wife doesn't find out about it, right? If he's in a different place and he sets up a big in a different place. So, so what does that mean that he's a, you know, he's invalidating it. She gets the get, she thinks it's a good get. She goes out, she, she marries, Again, but she's still married to the first guy, so that's adultery according to Allah, and she's uh, she's liable for the death penalty. So that's bad, or the kid and the kids are mamzerim. That's really bad. Well, it's also bad if she gets killed. So there, all kinds of problems can come out of the fact that that theoretically the husband could invalidate the get without his wife knowing about it. Now. So that, with that as a background, we know that it doesn't take much for him to uh, invalidate the get. So therefore, if he's already going to write down that I'm being forced to give a get, so then we he doesn't have to write it down. He doesn't have to, nobody has to know what, but it, it's obvious that there is onus here, that there is uh, that there is duress here. So you don't need, so th- why do we need to write all that stuff? the said, de We know that X is forcing Y to do this. Okay, so you don't need a that kind of you don't need that in a mode to offer again. There's all kinds of other cases and we're gonna to get to it a little bit later on in Baba Batra, Both on the selling side, you know, tell you a and zini zini that literally if you hang somebody up and force them to sell something to you, then it's considered a, a sale. Or on the get side there's makinotachomer rotsani. there is a case where you can force the husband to give a get and you beat him up until he says, I want to. So it's not, so those things are, right? Those things are, are on the borders of this question of forcing somebody to do something. And the Rambam says, you know, just as an aside, the Rambam says here, One who... Is forced to sell something until he and, and is for until is put under pressure until he sells it. I feel taluhu Ad Shamachar Memkaro, even if they hung him up until he agreed to sell. Memkaro Memkar. So his uh Ajamahar, Memkaro Memkar, his, uh, his uh, the sale is a good sale. Bambi Matlin Bamba Karkoat, whether it's with movable objects or land, Shamipne on so Gamaro because and here's this is the really kind of troubling point here, but this is the halacha, according to the Rambam, that it's because of the duress that he actually decided to sell it. Even though he didn't take the money before witnesses. Therefore, if he gave an announcement that he didn't want to sell it before it was sold, and he says no to two witnesses no that i'm only selling this thing because i am under duress the sale is invalidated even if it's after a number of years you take it out of the person who bought it and you bring it back you give it back to the original owner Right, you give back to the original owner. Okay, so that's um, that. So that's kind of disturbing. Nobody really talks to the point. I couldn't find anybody really talks to the point of the fact that we have here. It's is it. It all seems theoretical and abstract. That if you're under enough duress, then you actually have decided to go through with the sale. Now, the only there the Meiri says that otherwise you can challenge any kind of star. I mean, the problem is that if you didn't have this notion that a sale under duress was still a sale, then you could always have buyer's regret or seller's regret. So there is remorse and come back uh, three days later and say, you know what? I didn't want to sell it. He just forced me to sell it. So that's why we're requiring this extra step of a moda. And uh, the, the gaonim say that's why also nowadays, meaning... Nowadays, meaning in the 10th century, 9th century, they required people to write that they are selling Belaiv Shalem with a full heart. I don't know if that necessarily accomplishes what they want to accomplish, but there is an acknowledgement that uh, you can't see inside a, inside a person's mind. Okay. All right. So therefore, if all you need to stop a get or a matana is a is 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 just to say this is invalid. So therefore, if you're coming already to get a moda'a, it's obvious that there is some sort of duress and you don't have to write it, right? So, And if you're talking about sale, the hama'a rava, Rava says, you can't write a moda'a. You can't, and this is basically what the Rambam says later on, right? You Centuries later on. You can't write a this kind of announcement of, I didn't want to sell it, about a sale that was under duress. L'o, so the shtum says No, we're actually talking about a sale. Modi Rava anis, but Rava admits in a case in which there was a in which there was duress. Uchma said the perdisa because of the because of a an incident that happened around perdisa. So in other words, the so Rub is saying that actually anus is different. Even though he says you're you're not allowed to write a moda, but you're allowed to write you're allowed to write. Rabbi says that when there's anus, what does that mean? In other words, it's supposed apparently moda is always about anus, right? So why is this different? So because of this case of pardisa, which we'll now read. Have you ever come home from a long day of hectoring people on their way to the temple and thought to yourself, "Where do I go from here?" I tell people that God doesn't want their sacrifices. I tell people that Assyria is going to crush their dreams and drag them off into slavery, but am I making a difference? Am I being heard? Do you ever look enviously at the big guys who made it into the book, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and think, what do they have that I don't? Well, sure, they write better than me. Their righteous rage is also touched by a sublime poetry. What about Zechariah? Nobody understands what he's saying, and there he is, one of the 12. What's that all about? Well, we're here to tell you that it's not your fault. Baboy Ben Pakui Prophets Representation will get you where you know that God wants you to be. We are a prophets only, canon inclusion, representation agency. Make sure your righteous rage gets the audience it deserves with BBPR. And only for listeners of this podcast, if you contact us now, you'll get a free consultation. Call us at 1 800 Prophets Rep. That's 1 800 Prophets Rep. Tell him Daf Shui sent you. There was a guy who put his orchard, gave his orchard to his friend as a surety for three years. But tlachnin, after he ate the produce, the usufruct, for three years. After he ate for the three years needed to claim ownership, Amar, if you sell it to me now, then we're okay. If not, I'm just going to hide the star, uh, the star of the surety of the mashkan, and I'll say that uh, it's mine. I had it for three years. So in that case, you're allowed to. In that case, you do. Even Rava says you do write a moda, because that's a that's a case of a specific type of onus. The guy's gonna has it over you. Okay. So now there's a, a whole bunch of questions here about this maaseh, right? Because of the fact that there's a parallel maaseh in Bavmetsia seventy two a. With an ending in which the guy sells the field to his son rather than write a moda, and actually in, in the Escorial manuscript, this here continues here with that ending, which is azal akne liv no katan. So the guy, rather than in a way to get out of the extortion, he went and he gave the field to his young son v'hader zavna niale. and then he bought it back from him. Zvine zuze v'adai hadre v'hader zavna Niele. Uh, Zvini. zuze vade hadre. And so then the, the, he, he sent it, he gave it to him and then he bought it back with the money. And the money definitely comes back. Kamalva Bishtar as somebody who lends with a, with a contract. Vidtarev Mimshabde. Okay. And then he goes on there, goes on to ask questions and he, uh, about it. And there's a whole discussion, which is actually brought in the Escorial manuscript, which is somewhat neither here nor there. But the question is whether or not that is actually the story that's here, right? Because here we have the last line of the story. In this manner, in this kind of a case, you do write a moda'a, a document that of refusal, or a document that saying that, not a refusal, but a document that's saying that you're under duress, selling it under duress. So it's possible that the masim are different, right? It's possible the masim are the same. It's possible the masim are different since they're. Here there is a moda'ah, and there arguably there was a choice not to go with the moda'ah, but rather to sell it to his son, to give it to his son, sell it to his son. There is also a possibility that this was a, there was a whole different masa, which was not a whole different story, which was not initially written down and was added later. And one of Rabbeinu Yona of Gurundi of Gerona in the Aliyot to Yona ascribes the fact that it is this masa to the Geonim. Right, so and uh, perhaps originally it just said Ukim Ma said Pardisa, as we have in the another really famous case, said the Burya, in which the said the, the, the story itself is not written down, but then Rashi comes along and gets the story from actually from the Abu Draham, earlier than Rashi, gets a, a story about Burya. So it could be that this maase actually was just a whole different said de Pardisa. In any event, that's where we are. So that when Rava says that there is an that there is a time when you can write a moda'ah for a sale in a case where there is an exigency, where there's a a a, a you're forced to sell. This is what we're talking about. Okay. Amar of Yehuda. Hi Matanta Tamirta La Magbinamba. So now another case, right? And it seems like you know if you read this enough, it seems like uh, business people are, are sometimes shady. Who would have known? Amar of Yehuda, hi matanta tamirta la magbinamba. So when says a e matanta tsmirta, a hidden present you cannot collect a hidden present hehidami matanta tmir so in other words the the star matana the contract the deed of a present that is a hidden present is not valid hehidami matanta tmir to me what is a hidden present amravi says daman lahula sahade zilu itsmuro kitfulai ravi says it's one in which the person giving the present says to the witnesses, go and hide yourself and write out the contract of, of present, the present, con- the gifting contract. And some say that Rabbi Yosef said, So Rabbi Yosef said, it's one that doesn't say sit in the marketplace and in the roads and write it out. What's the difference between these two versions of Rabi So what? What's the story of a get which doesn't say anything? It's just it's just a, a gifting. A that doesn't say anything. It's just a gifting deed, and it doesn't say zilut um, but it doesn't have the sitting in the in the marketplaces. So it would seem that according to Rav Yosef, a stam star. Is considered a matana tzmirta. Is considered a hidden gift if it doesn't have if it's a generic star. And according to the first Reb Yosef, it would seem that it's okay. Amarava ba'have And Rabbah says that a hidden, this kind of a hidden gift, is considered as a moda'a, as a statement against another sale. If a guy gifts to two people, one is a hidden gift and the other is. An open gift. So the hidden gift is not, might not count, but it's considered as a moda'a to the open gift. It's saying, I don't really want to sell it to him. Amarav Papa. Rav Papa says, Ha du Rava Labaferish Itmar Elamakhala Ditmar. This that Ravah said, he didn't say it open, he didn't say it explicitly, but it's learned out from a general rule, from more a general principle. In other words, he derived it from a masa, from something that happened. What is it? That happened. So this guy went to betroth a woman. Amra She said to him, If you write over to me all of your property, then I will be yours. knows I will be betrothed to you. And if not, I will not be betrothed to you. So he said, all right, I really want to get married to you. And he went and he wrote all of his property over to her. Ata break shisha. So he had an elderly son, Amarle, and the son came to him and said, "Bahau have a Alei." Said, and he says in the third person, but he says, "What about me?" <laughs> right? Literally, that person. What will happen to him? Basically, what about me? This is like the beginning of every one of those mystery stories: the outside interloper, second wife, getting married first son from the first marriage worried about his inheritance he says what about me so the guy says to the witnesses the kid go to this place, Yamina, or yamina and write all my property to to my son so derava. Then, then after they got married I imagine they both came to Rava and then because the son and the wife and who gets it so Ra said neither of them acquired it so somebody who saw it somebody who saw it thought that the reason was because the hidden gift was a you know as if a a statement of duress to the other one right so therefore. The other, the second one was not the the gift to the wife didn't work. but that's not true. de katabla. No, rather the fact that he wrote the the hidden gift was showed that it was he was under duress when he wrote the present the gifting to the wife. mar delikni. But here in our case where he writes. A, a hidden gift, it's because of the fact that he doesn't want, that one person he wants to, to sell it to and the other person he doesn't want to sell it to. So, therefore, it doesn't prove, right, it, 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 this does not prove what Ravah says that that a, a hidden gift is considered as an announcement of that the other gifting was only done under duress. Okay, so then the question is, what happens when you do Stam? We had the two, these two versions of Rav Yosef. What happens when uh, you just say, without saying, go sit in the marketplace and write it, you just say, write a gift, write a, a, a deed of gifting? Ravina Ravina says, we do not fear that it is a hidden gift. Ravashi said, no, we do fear that it is a hidden gift. And the halacha is that we do fear that we take into account that it is a hidden gift. And this v'hilchata is one of the few v'hilchata um, we've seen a number of them, actually, though, in, in, in this chapter. But in, in very few cases, does a sugya end with a halakha. Okay, so I want to say a couple of things here. The first thing I want to say is that in the first half of the sugya is interesting in terms of its structure. It's it's written as, almost as if rub is giving shear, Right? In other words, one could imagine... I'm right. so, a Rav, I'm a Nachman. Rav quotes these, these halachot from Rav Nachman. It's like he's quoting Rav Nachman's Mishnah, Rav Nachman Shulchan Arach. And then he asks a question about it. He kashuli ha right? This is, you know, as if it says in the, the Midrashim Yilamdenu, or in the Shiltaot, Yilamdenu Rabbeinu, right? So now he's saying, uh, here's the question I have about this. You know, what is this? Kenyan. And then he says, And then he answers the question. So this, it's an interesting that it is all, this is kind of a, one could imagine the uh, setting of this as being Rava teaching the Torah of Rav Nachman and clarifying the Torah of Rav Nachman. And this continues uh, the theme that we've had uh, up until now, that this is a lot of Rava Torah, right? Torah of Ravah, and his, his teacher, Rav Nachlan. The second comment I wanted to make here is the fact that if we look in the Rambam here, in the Mishneh Torah, this is a great example of how the Rambam Hebraicizes the Gemara, in other words, translates it into Hebrew, because this is only ever talked about as Matanat, Matanata Tamirta, but the Rambam, who writes Mishneh Torah in Hebrew, actually talks about it as a Matanam, as So, if we look at this the fifth parak of Sefer Kenyan Hilchot Zichia Matana, Brahma says the following: If a person gives a gift, whether the person is health sick or healthy or sick, it has to be open and known. If he said to the witnesses, write it in write it hiddenly, write it in secret and give it to him, it is nothing. this person is just trying to trick him to scam him in order to lose other people's money Uh, so afterwards after he sells in secret to this first guy he's going to go and try to sell it to other people therefore any contract any contract on gifting of land which does not say and this person who's giving it said sit in the marketplace and the streets right that's the shuka and biryata and write him an open present an open gift and well known um and the these types of matter right if he doesn't if it's not written like that shema matana right we are worried that it is a uh, a hidden matana, and that a hidden gift, and that the person who got it does not acquire it. I mean, the Rambam goes according to the the halacha of of the uh, uh, the Gemara. He says chayshinan, right? We worry about imatana, imatana But it's just an interesting example of what the Rambam does a lot, and then actually the Meiri does it also, which is to Hebraicize the Aramaic of the Mishnah or to translate the Aramaic of the Mishnah into into Hebrew. Okay. And the one final thing is that none of the Rishonim and the Rabbah also the Tara that I could find, maybe somebody else would find out someplace else, says anything about what happens to the woman in that case where the husband writes a hidden deed to his son and then Rabbah says nobody acquires the property. Does that mean that they're not married? Or did it happen after they were married and she's stuck with it? Or is it not married? I don't know. Nobody says anything about it. Fascinating that that is something that doesn't bother anybody. Okay, on that note of not bothering anybody, we're going to finish here. We just finished another Mishnah. Yay! I want to thank the uh, Daf Shrui team, my wonderful Habruta Charlotte van Robert, my amazing producer, Ellie Unger Sargon. Check out the third episode of Four Cubits on Anger. Ellie and Jeff Helmright. amazing stuff the Dafshui communications team Shahar Cohen Hodos was responsible for the great Dafshui logo you can follow me on twitter at Irma Clot, Irmiklat, i r m i k l a t you can send comments this is new i'd love all kinds of comments questions who you are to the widow and the brothers at gmail.com that is the widow and the brothers at gmail.com and i'll put that email that is on the on the Dafshvui page. Also love to hear from you. Please, if you enjoyed this week's uh, podcast, you can go to the, the podcast page and give the podcast a rating. It'll help others find it supposedly, but it'll just make me feel good. Bring a friend next week so that we could all sit together and take refuge in Olashal Torah, the tent of Torah learning in the closet. Be well, be safe. See you next week. Shabbat shalom.